We read in our first reading today that uh, he, our Lord Jesus Christ, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son <coughs> whom he loves. I'm still in touch with quite a number of friends from childhood days and uh, some of the families that we went to church together when I was a boy. And a few years ago, I was very sorry to discover that one of these friends was going through a pretty horrendous time in life. <clears throat> She'd been married for some years, had a family, but it wasn't a happy marriage. It had become a violent marriage, not physical violence, but deeply abusive. Her husband wasn't just her father, uh, her, her husband wasn't just her father and the uh, uh, husband and the father of her children, but he was also her boss, her employer. And uh, he didn't pay her properly, so she had little financial independence. He failed to treat her properly as an employee, and she suddenly made the discovery that she wasn't protected in terms of insurance and pension and all the rest of it. When my friend finally discovered the extent of this problem, um, she uh, found the secretive way that her husband had deceived her was almost unbelievable. Eventually, with the help of some good friends and some professional advice, she managed to break free from her husband's domination and uh, she started putting life together again without him either as her husband or as her boss. She had been violated in more ways than one. Our Methodist calendar invites us today to focus on two themes that may seem unrelated, but they are, I think they are a bit more related than we might think at first uh, sight. The first one is this. I'll mention the second one a bit later on. The second theme is this. It's called Women Against Violence. Sadly, the situation I've just referred to about the friend from childhood, um, that situation is multiplied many times over, of course, up and down our land and in many parts of the world. In many cases, women are the chief victims, especially in societies or families where the man is seen to be the provider. But of course, it's not only women who are the victims of that sort of violence, domestic violence. Sometimes men are the victims too. More often, though, it's children who get involved. I think of the time when my wife and myself were horrified to discover that some neighbours of ours had all their five children taken away permanently into care because they, the children had been the victims of physical violence. We lived so close, and yet we knew so little. And to those sort of stories, of course, we can add the situations we hear about where the vulnerable elderly are abused through ill treatment, sometimes uh, through neglect in family situations, or worse, still in so-called care homes in various places, where some concerned member of the family has secretly installed a camera which has recorded shocking pictures of cruelty. In our English language, we have a saying that an Englishman's home is his castle. That is intended to refer, I think, to the security that we feel when we are in our own homes. But the other side of the coin of that phrase, of course, is that when people have withdrawn to their homes and when they've pulled the drawbridge up, they can actually inflict the most awful physical pain, 
mental pain, sexual pain, um, emotional pain on members of their family without anybody else knowing at all. And so quite right that we should have a Sunday when we're challenged to focus our attention on domestic violence and to say our appropriate prayers, as Ali touched on earlier on in our prayers. Of course, it's hard to reflect on the topic of domestic violence without our thoughts straying out onto the streets, isn't it? During this year, more than 100 people have been killed through acts of violence uh, in this city of London, and two over this weekend, one yesterday, one last night or early this morning. Back in June, this church organised through the auspices of the Women's Ministry and the Men's Fellowship um, that conference in the summer on the topic of gun and knife crime. The speakers represented um, family members who'd been victims, the police, support agencies, and one man who'd previously been involved in gang life, but who'd turned his life around with the help of Christ, and uh, who's now working amongst young people to try and steer them away from the dangers of getting involved in gang-related crime. And for those of us who were present for that conference, it did something more than touch us in a cerebral way. It was an emotional day. It was a deeply disturbing day, as we heard stories of fear and destruction. And it was a challenging day, considering what we could do to make any kind of meaningful response. And of course, from domestic violence and violence on our streets, the epidemic of violence spreads wider and wider until we find the... Uh, violence affecting whole nations, such as the sort of violence that Zimbabwe went through in recent years, and Syria is still going through. All these situations, starting with domestic violence, violence at home, call for us as Christians to respond with prayer and with concern. And of course, as part of our concern and prayer, to understand the roots of violence as well. And put very simply, and this is where it begins to link up to the other topic for today, but put very simply, the root of almost all violence is the attempt by somebody to build their own kingdom. A kingdom where they make the rules, a kingdom where they're in control, a kingdom where they don't have to worry about what damage they do to other people, a kingdom where they don't have to be accountable to anybody else for all their actions. When Boris Johnson became Prime Minister a few months ago, <clears throat> I think it was his sister who shared a memory from their childhood days. She said when he was a boy, he wanted to be king of the world. Well, that's a pretty naked ambition, isn't it? King of the world. But forget Boris for a minute, if you can do in the hectic run-up to this general election. Forget Boris for a minute. I wonder how many of us haven't had some kind of outlandish ambitions, especially as children, about being in charge or in control of this, that or the other, or being able to direct other people. On this Sunday when we're challenged to think about violence against women, domestic violence and so on, this invitation to pray for the victims of violence, <clears throat> to understand the motives of those who perpetrate violence, there is also the challenge to look honestly into our own hearts and to search our own motives in our dealings with other people, whether they're dealings with our family members or our colleagues at work or in college 
or in the community where we're doing some kind of service. Well, at the beginning I said there was another special label to this Sunday and on this Sunday as well as being invited to focus on that theme of violence that starts in the home, we are also invited to celebrate the theme of Christ the King, which has been there weaving in and out of our service already this morning. In some ways it seems a little odd, doesn't it? About five weeks before Christmas to be invited in the lectionary readings to read about the crucifixion. I sort of think, where are we? I thought we were beginning to turn our minds towards Christmas. But Jesus came to inaugurate God's kingdom. Much of his teaching was about the kingdom of God in the parables uh, that he told. Much of his ministry was directed to reaching out to people who'd fallen under the control of wicked, powerful, domineering people. And in that reading from Colossians uh, that uh, we heard earlier in our service, Paul writes about God rescuing us from the power of darkness and bringing us over or transferring us over into the kingdom of Christ. And as we read towards the end of the story of Jesus, those last few hours in his life on earth, in the garden, at, in the trial, and on the cross, and as uh, we come to his passion, we learn some of the profound truths about God's kingdom. So let me just very briefly mention three of them. First of all, one of the things that comes out very clearly, and it comes out through words that Jesus said in the trial uh, before Pilate, in the judgment hall, Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. Of course, that's not to say that God's kingdom is not relevant to this world. It is relevant to this world. <clears throat> Sometimes Christians have been accused of being so earthly minded that they're no heavenly minded that they're no earthly use. That is a pretty uh, savage criticism. Uh, sometimes I guess it might have been um, justified. But we're not so heavenly minded that we're no earthly use. Um, but the kingdom of God, although it relates to this world, begins in this world, transforms things and people in this world, has eternal dimensions to it. And it doesn't consist of monetary wealth, possessions, or the amount of land that we manage to acquire. We find that the things like amassing money and jostling for power and status, boasting about our status and all the rest of it, those things count for nothing in God's kingdom. And yet those are the things that, exactly the things to, that lead to so much misery in the world. Those are the things that are so often the root of the violence that is done between one person and another or one group and another. Like the 94-year-old businessman I heard about recently who was still at his age trying to screw the very last penny out of somebody in a business deal about property that he owned um, in a dealing with a tenant. Or a dictator who clings desperately onto power decade after decade after decade. Or even within a family circle, the angst that seems to uh, rise to the surface when somebody's will is read and certain people are not included in what's been left. None of these things, the acquisition of land, the amassing of money, status, power, none of these things are the currency that actually work in the kingdom of God. 
these ambitions and goals are all examples of trying to build up our own little empire in the here and now. But one day they have to be left behind. And conversely, of course, we discover that some of the happiest people in the world, the most fulfilled people in the world, are the people who have the least money, the least security, the least by way of status, and who are not a bit bothered about those things because they've learnt that the kingdom of God has deeper and more eternal dimensions. And the currency is love. That's the one that operates in the kingdom of God. And as Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians, in those famous words, love never ends. God's kingdom is not of this world. That's a really freeing and releasing experience when we come to discover it. And then secondly, God's kingdom is the place where God's will is put first. And there is really nothing so deeply satisfying as living within the will of God. And in this story, the story of the last few hours in the earthly life of Jesus, we learn about how living in God's kingdom is about putting his will first. Paul, the Apostle Paul, summarized it theologically uh, when he wrote to the Philippians and when he talked about Jesus becoming obedient to death, even the death upon the cross. The Gospel writer Luke puts it in story form when he talks about tells the story of Jesus being in the garden of Gethsemane with his, his disciples. Suffering, humiliation, torture, physical pain, the agony of crucifixion was not what Jesus wanted. But what comes through so clearly in the moving prayer in the garden of Gethsemane was his deepest desire to do God's will. Father, let this cup pass from me, but not what I will. Let your will be done. A week or two ago I read um, an item of news that a memorial plaque was going to be unveiled at the Fort du de la Revere near Nice by an organisation which is called Le, Le Devoir du Mémoire. Uh, it's an organisation that honours those who were affected by war, especially resistance fighters going back to the Second World War. And the plaque was to be placed there in memory of the Reverend Donald Caskey. And reading that little bit of news about this plaque being unveiled, um, it took me back to a book, and I read it again, a read book that I don't think I'd read since I was a teenager, in called the, the Tartan Pimpernel. And it was the story of the Reverend Donald Caskey, who was uh, a minister in the Church of Scotland, but at the time when the Second World War broke out in 1939, he was serving as minister of a church in Paris. And like all uh, other members of the um, Allied countries, he had to leave Paris very suddenly on a certain Sunday in 1939. <clears throat> and um, went south in order to find some kind of safety. Had the opportunity of getting on a boat in order to come back to the British Isles and go back to Bonnie, Scotland, but decided that that was not the thing that he should be doing. He needed to stay in France and serve those who needed his ministry in time of war. For some time he ministered from the Siemens Mission in Marseille. He conducted public worship. He carried out pastor work, as you might expect a church minister to do. But he also became part of the resistance movement and he was responsible for sheltering many escaped Allied servicemen. It was a dangerous activity and it eventually led to his arrest 
uh, and under charges he was sentenced to death. And it was only through the pleading of a German uh, chaplain that his life was actually saved. Life would have been much more enjoyable if he just played it safe and gone back to Scotland at the beginning of the war. But he deeply believed that that was not God's will for him. And so he faced the danger and the suffering. Finding God's will for our lives may not be quite so dangerous and threatening as it was for Donald Caskey. But there will be choices to make and there will sometimes be different outcomes and perhaps unpleasant and challenging outcomes as well. I'm never quite sure about that phrase we sing in Charles Wesley's hymn, hymn that we sing quite often where he talks about sweetly losing our will in thine. It's not always a matter of a sweet sweetness about losing our will and putting God's will in its place instead. But I am sure of what comes from another quotation and that is this, that in his will is our peace. So God's kingdom is not of this world and God's kingdom is a place where God's will is done and where we shall find a deep sense of peace. And the third profound truth that comes through this uh, story that crucifixion that we've been invited to read again this morning is that God's kingdom is the place where lives are transformed and the cross itself is the place of transformation. There is something about the cross of Jesus, the sight of that innocent figure hanging on the cross in that awful way that people put to others to death in those days, there is something about the cross of Jesus that has touched so many people at a greater depth than anything else has ever touched them in their lives. And sad, selfish, greedy, brutal lives are completely turned round. It happened there at Calvary, even while Jesus was hanging on the cross between two thieves. Suddenly one of them saw the difference between living in the dark and living in the light. And he said to his fellow thief, we're here because of our misdeeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Some of the hardest hearts and the most stubborn wills are broken before the cross. And so Jesus came with an invitation to be part of that kingdom. And when we accept an invitation to live in the kingdom of God, we are saved from the destructiveness of our own selfish behavior. The sort of behavior that rises to the surface uh, and dominates when we're trying to build our own kingdom or build our own empire. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he has brought us into the kingdom of his son. I was just reflecting that so much Christian hymnology, our hymns and songs that we sing, actually make reference to Christ as our king or talk about the kingdom of God. We began this morning with rejoice, the Lord is king. We could equally have sung Isaac Watts' famous hymn, Jesus shall reign wherever the sun doth his successive journeys run. And that goes on to talk about the blessings and the joy that come when lives are transformed. Blessings abound where'er he reigns. The prisoner leaps to lose his chains. The weary find eternal rest. And all who are in want are blessed.
There are comprehensive joys and blessings in the kingdom of Christ when we've stopped building our own kingdoms and our own empires. So this story of the crucifixion of Jesus is actually pivotal. It's not just something we give a nod to once a year because we come to Holy Week and Good Friday uh, and we decide to read that story again and sing songs uh, about the death of Christ. It is absolutely pivotal to our faith. I began by talking and focusing on some of the violation which is done to human lives when we're hell-bent on building our own kingdoms. And the outcome of all that, of course, points to the need of a saviour, which is why we shall be so happy to celebrate the birth of a saviour in four or five weeks' time when we come to Christmas. And I looked at those aspects of God's kingdom that bring immeasurable blessings to us when we allow ourselves to become part of his kingdom and stop building our own. Each one of us has a choice. We can choose to build our own kingdoms, our own empires. We can inevitably then finish up inflicting a lot of suffering on other people, whether they're in our own homes, in our own community, colleagues we are alongside day by day. We can either do that, or we can choose to be part of God's kingdom and find the blessings that we sung about in that hymn in our offering this morning when we said, well, we sung all of my ambitions, hopes and plans, I surrender these into your hands, for it's only in your will that I am free. Only in your will that we are really free. And I just leave you with two sentences, two sentences that struck me in some prayers a couple of weeks ago as I sat in a civic service in Canterbury Cathedral on Remembrance Sunday, and we were invited to pray these prayers. The first one says, from the desire to dominate others, to impose our will, and from all feelings of superiority, good Lord, deliver us. And the second prayer, guide the leaders of the nations and those who work for peace, and make us all subject to Christ's just and gentle rule. Lord, hear us and help us. Lord, hear us and help us indeed. Amen.